I'm Chance Bozeman, and I have the honor of serving in the amazing Tidewater Singles Ministry. And um, I'm so excited to just be able to just share um, the Word of God with you today. Um, so let me for the slides while I scroll through my notes. Oh yeah, is it a chance lesson if I don't put a collage of multiple different pictures? No, it is not. So this is my family, um, and I think, you know, one of the hardest challenges of starting a family is raising children and making a consistent effort to set an example for them to follow. Because when it all comes down to it, family is the most important factor for shaping perspective and for shaping destiny. Um, my parents met in the military. My, my dad came from the South, raised by a community of aunts uncles, cousins, neighbors, friends, cousins that aren't really cousins, but friends of moms and dads and uncles, but <laughs> is really good friends. And my mom was raised in a small potato farming town just minutes from the border of Canada. And together they raised three kids, my, um, Dietra, my oldest sister, um, Selenice, my second oldest, and me. Um, next slide, please. So... Uh, my dad was a fun-loving father, and my oldest sister gravitated to him. Um, Dieter was a daddy's girl. So while my parents were having Selenice, my second sister, my mom was like, this one is going to be my child. You know, like, you know, daddy's girl over here, like, this one's going to be my child. And along came Selenice, my mom's child. <laughs> so to say Selenice and Dieter are different would be an understatement. Where Dieter was obedient and quiet, Selenice was opinionated. Where my sister Dietra sought to please mom and dad, Selenice was going to live her life as a strong, independent, biracial four-year-old, and you can't tell her nothing because she's grown. So my sister Selenice, um, that's her in the far right holding me. Uh, my sister Selenice, when she was four years old, she was down in North Carolina for summer break. Um, my mom was on TDY, and my dad was working. My parents sent down all these clothes for her to wear during her trip. So one day when getting ready for church, my grandma, you know, went to go help Selenice put on her clothes to find that Cece was already dressed in mixed matching clothes. And I could just imagine her standing there on her, like with her hand on her hip like, you know, Grandma, what are we about to do right now? And Grandma was like, you can't wear that. Those don't match. And she was like, I wear what I want. <laughs> And then again, on the same trip, um, my Aunt Beatrice, or my Aunt Beatrice was um, taking care of my sister, and so she was keeping, you know, Selenice in order, you know, telling her what to do, making sure she stayed behaved, until one day, Selenice was just like, <sighs> and Aunt Beatrice was like, what's wrong, Selenice? And she was like, somebody's getting on my nerves. <laughs> and, and then she was like, and that somebody is you. <laughs> my mom's child. So my dad and my mom would joke about me and my siblings. And every time we act up, they would say to each other, get your kid. That's your child. Um, I didn't teach them that. That was you. Where do they learn that from? When we were emotional and dreamy and didn't really make sense with what we were saying, my mom would say, that's your father, come back to earth. <laughs> and when we were being stubborn and uncompromising, my dad would be, that's your mom, that's your mom in you. And so it's amazing what kind of like cultures you inherit from your parents. Uh, and parents give us legacies that can define us. Um, 
Are you with me, church? Yes. So today I want to zero in on an argument that Jesus is having with his Jewish um, opponents that unravels what does it mean to belong to a family? And who is your father? I guess, you know, that would be kind of like the tagline. So the passage we're about to uncover uh, asserts that it's where you belong that defines truth. Next slide. Um, so the passage is going to be in John chapter 8. It's going to start in verse 31. And I'll begin reading. To the Jews who believed, Jesus said, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants. We have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in a family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me, because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in my father's presence. You are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do what Abraham did. And as it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the work of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. And we'll stop right there and expand on the children of Abraham. So for the Jews, um, Abraham was the father of their faith. Um, He was seen as a man that God first brought into covenant love. He made promises to bless his descendants and to grow them into a mighty nation. And what fell out of that? What fell out of that was the nation of Israel. The holy people of God. God's precious people. His chosen people. And the idea in the Jewish mindset that was because God had chosen them um, through Abraham's lineage, that their place in God's household was already secure. Next slide, please. So why is Jesus confronting this, this lineage? I mean, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, we're going to get to that. Um, why is Jesus confronting this lineage? That makes, doesn't make sense. You know, like, take a DNA test, Jesus. Like, I'm in the line. You know, I'm part of Abraham's family. Like, why are you coming after me saying I'm not, you know, my daddy's son? Um, and, but he says that if you were Abraham's children, you would do what Abraham did. Which begs the question, what did Abraham do? So... Um, I compiled this TLDR that's millennial for too long, didn't read. And, um, there's, so, there's, there's so much to unpack here. So this summary is going to help give us the context of what is Jesus zeroing zero in, in here and what point is he trying to make. So um, I'm going to read this for you all. Just to know that this whole story spans like Nine chapters of Genesis. Um, This whole promise. So, chapter 12. God makes a promise with Abram. He's not Abraham yet. Name change later on. So God makes a promise with Abram, saying that he will make him into a great nation, that all the peoples, all the peoples, that's actually proper grammar, on, uh, on the earth will be blessed through his lineage. So at this time, Abraham is 75 years old with a wife who can't have children. And I don't know if you know how biology works, but (laughs) that's pretty old. So naturally, the, the one thing that I know that, you know, more seasoned people do, they check their 401k, 
They buy orthopedic shoes. They eat at Golden Corral. But, you know, when I think of making children, I mean, you know, how much time, how much gas is left in the tank is what I'm wondering. And Abraham, hey, hear me out. Abraham was thinking about this too. Genesis 15. God makes a covenant with Abram, and a childless Abram is concerned with a servant in his household, servant in his household becoming his heir. He's thinking like, hey, like, you know, we can't produce any children. Like, you made this amazing promise with me. Here I am, 75. You said you're going to make me the father of nations. Is this going to happen through my servant? But God affirms that he's going to have a flesh and blood heir. And God tells him that in addition to that, he will give him the promised land. And God, um, he asks for a sign. And at this point, this is a truly amazing chapter, Genesis 15. Genesis 15 but God, okay. So there's this incredible ceremony that happens where God shows that if he doesn't fulfill his side of the promise, it will be on God himself, not Abraham. So God is taking the blame, the fall, and the fault if he doesn't fulfill his promise. Um, and there's, during the ceremony, there would be a scattering of butchered animals. And both people who were going to be conjoined in this promise would walk through. This would be saying that if we break our promise to one another, we will be like these butchered animals. You know, may the blood be on our head. But if you read Genesis 15, it is God alone that walks through the animals. Saying that it's going to be on him. May he be like these butchered animals if Abraham doesn't honor the covenant. If God doesn't honor the covenant. And already then you can see this, this image of Christ coming from that. And in this chapter it says, Abraham believed him. And it was accredited to him as righteousness. Isn't that crazy? So righteousness, righteousness means what is your side of the deal when it comes to making a wedding vow? So his side of the deal was to believe. To have faith in the promise. To have faith in God. Whereas God's side of the promise was that if either of us break this, may it be on me. May I take the blame. So he's accredited with this promise. No, no. He's given this promise and he believes and it's accredited to him as righteousness. Genesis 16. So Sarah, Sarai, not Sarah yet, um, has not conceived and commands her slave Hagar to sleep with Abram to deliver a child. And Hagar has Ishmael. Genesis 17, so God appears to Abraham, Abram again, now Abraham, and gives him the covenant of circumcision. God orders him to walk blamelessly according to his word, and in turn that he will make Abraham the father of the nations. He says his descendants will come through Sarah, now Sarah. Um, and during this, Abraham pro- takes a step back and he's like, hey, wait a minute, like, don't worry, God. I know you have this promise and this plan, but I already got to figure it out. I have Ishmael, you know, I have a kid. I have a son. Here he is. You can do all that stuff through him. My way. Not your way, but you can do it through me. Wow. See, God had told him that this lineage was going to come through Sarah. But when it wasn't happening, they took it into their own hands to make it happen. But God reaffirms that, his promise, that this promised child will come through Sarah. And Abraham believes and he obeys. And then he goes back and every male in his household is circumcised. So, let me just go on that last part. Every male in this household. So, how hard is it to come home and convince your family of just about anything? Now, imagine, imagine, you know, the head of your household, the head of your company, comes back and is like, hey guys, I had a vision with God, 
and now everyone needs to be circumcised. <laughs> like, bold, like, look at, and you, like, you probably laugh like you did, like, <laughs> what is that? What are you talking about? And he was like, well, let me describe the process to you. It's, it's this. And they're still laughing, like, sweating probably, like, <laughs> why are you getting so detailed now? What are you about to do? My point being is, this was probably not an easy sell to the people that he led, that the people in his household. Yet, he obeyed God. He took him at his word, and his entire house was circumcised, set aside for God. So, chapter 21, three visitors come to Abraham and Sarah and tells them that this time next year, Sarah's going to have a son. Sarah laughs. Um, and then, next year, 25 years, 25 years after the promise, Abraham's 100 years old, Sarah gives birth to Isaac. Isn't that just incredible? Like this 25-year promise. And unfortunately, shortly after, Sarah dismisses Hagar and Ishmael, and they are ordered to leave the household. So, yeah, I don't have the time to go through all of this stuff, though I went through all of it already. But just even like just some reflections, like twice, Abraham thought um, the inheritance that God promised to him would be given to servants. Once through um, his servant Eliezer, and then the next time through Ishmael. And just even seeing in the story that God took the punishment upon himself and that Abraham's side of the covenant was to just believe, to obey, to receive the word and respond to it. So, reeling this all back in, what is, what is, what is Jesus saying? Jesus' argument is that the children of Abraham respond to the promises of God through faith. So what I present here it just scratches the surface, but it's important for the conclusions we're about to make. Um, so continuing on in verse 42, all the way back to the, the passage, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I've come here from God. I've not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Wow. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. Yeah. The reason you do not hear is because you do not belong to God. <laughs> Next slide, please. So Jesus just lays out this whole argument, and I organized it with all these if statements, if-then statements. This is the engineer in me, but I think this just helps us visualize what's going on in the passage. So if premise, Jesus says, then this. So he draws conclusions from things that he's saying. And what's so amazing about this is that they start layering on top of one another. If you hold to my teachings, then you will know the truth. And that truth will set you free. If the sun sets you free, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you are a child of Abraham, you will know the truth. The truth will set you free. And so it's just like, kind of like this daisy chain, and it goes on. If um, Jesus speaks on what he heard in the presence of God, and if you love and listen to Jesus, you will hear what God says. And this is a long one. I was pretty excited when I typed this out. So if the sun sets you free, you will hold to Jesus' teachings, you will hear what God says. You will belong to God. You are a child of Abraham. You will know the truth. 
And that truth will set you free. That's just linking together all these conclusions that Jesus is bringing from this narrative. And likewise, if you do not hear God, you are a slave to sin. If you are a slave to sin, your father is the devil. If you have no love for Jesus, you don't have room for his word in your heart. And if you are not free, you do not belong to God's household. Did you know that to belong is actually part of the humanistic um, hierarchy of needs? There are so and I thought that was fascinating, like our, our need to belong, our need to have a home, our need to be part of a family or a community. And if you look around in this world, there are so many places to call home, but none of them are warm. And there's so many places to rest, but so many are not safe. And as we've entered this digital age, um, the pace of life has increased exponentially, like day by day. With more access to media, more content, we live incredibly busy lives. And even with breakthroughs in technologies, revolutionary inventions, things that were meant to solve our problems, they create more work for us. You know, isn't that crazy? Like, did you know the washing machine was actually made so that you didn't have to wash clothes as much and as difficult? You know, it wouldn't be as difficult. But now, because it's so easy, you're expected to do it all the time. Like, what sense does that make? Like, you know, the phone was made so it would be more easy to, like, communicate with one another. But now you have an electronic tether. Like, you can be reached anytime, all the time. Some people are probably texting you right now. Like, what are we eating tonight? Like, you know, when are you going to pick me up? Like, bring me here. So it's crazy how something was meant to be one thing, but it became another. Um, and within this anxious world, we, we reach out. We try to find things to navigate by. We need to find a truth. We, we, we say to ourselves, we need to find a truth that we can hang on to. Like, everything in my life can be chaos, but let science be real. Or, look, not saying science is fake. But let my life just be based on my ability to logically deduce what the best thing to do. Or let everything be wrong, but let me support this candidate for, you know, the next election. Because maybe they can make it right. Or let everything be wrong, but climate change. Um, you know... Whether we find ourselves in these communities, we look for families, whether it's like you're a Democrat, Republican, New England Patriots, Dallas Cowboys, whether you labor yourself, you know, just as American or millennial, the world is filled with these, these songs that call you to them. It's filled with these things that make us have to fit in. Like the world has a definition of beauty, and if you don't fit it, you don't belong. You know, the world has a definition of what is successful, and if you don't fit, you don't belong. And you're going to spend your entire life trying to belong um, to that troop. And we want to belong. We want to be beautiful. We want to be smart. And we're so afraid of being inadequate. And we are vengeful. We see injustice in the world and we want a truth to help us with that. You know, what's going to help deliver justice in this life now? Not later. And when it all comes down to what do we earn from all these momentary trials but hunger and anxiety? Do you feel at home in this world? Because according to this passage, there's two fathers. The devil and God. The father of lies and the father of truth. And there are two households. Do you feel free? Next slide, please. Because 
what it ultimately comes down to and what Jesus is saying is that you're either living in the adoptive, liberating truth or an isolating and enslaving lie. But we don't treat Jesus as liberation. We, if we honestly, we look at Christianity, we're like, this is like a list of things to do, a list of places to be. We see it as enslavement. We see it as rules to obey. But Jesus claims, you know, that the words from his mouth lead to truth and freedom. And what's so crazy, he says, you know, if you obey my teachings, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth on God's terms isn't something that you can pick out based on deductive reasoning. You would have never thought that a carpenter from Bethlehem riding the town on a donkey would be, you know, the gateway to salvation and eternal life. Nobody would have thought that. And I believe we have difficulty accepting God's truth. Because truth for us in our world needs to be concrete, objective, you can pin it to a board, and we have very scientific minds. And when we, do, we want to dissect the word of God and arrive at some measurable, incremental way to access God, and we wouldn't say it, but we want to control the mojo. We want to control the sauce, right? We want to figure it out so we can make it work for us. But that's not what this passage is portraying. This is saying that truth is an experience, That's a, that it's an unfolding promise. Just even consider that when Abraham was given the promise by God, he had a barren wife, and he was 75 years old, and he was told that he was going to be the father of nations, and everyone was going to be blessed through him. His jaw, his jaw probably dropped. Like, honestly, with what I have right now, God, I don't see it. I don't see it at all. So I'm going to do it my way. But even then, God continuously kept meeting him. He's like, no, like what I said is true. And may it be on me if I'm a liar. But God is not a liar. So Jesus says, if you hold to his teachings, you will know the truth and the truth will um, set you free. And the truth is not stagnant. And we are, um, as his children, we need to view our lives in accordance with the cross. And what does the cross tell us? It tells us that our best efforts... No matter how hard you try, no matter how much you read, no matter how many programs you go to, no matter how many church services you go to, no matter how, I don't know, much money's in your bank account, no matter if you get that present for your daughter or son on Christmas, or all your deeds are not enough to reconcile you to God. And your best efforts won't secure eternity. The Jews stood back and were like, "We, we haven't made in the shade. Like, we're part of the chosen lineage. Surely, we must be part of the promised household. But just knowing that your best efforts aren't enough to reconcile you with God, does that make you upset? And we just have this need to justify ourselves, but the cross does it for us. So here's what the cross tells us. It tells us our value isn't what we do. Our value is assigned to us by God. And that God bought you with his very own blood. Like when he was appraising the value of your life, of your soul, the only thing, and God can make anything, he can make absolutely anything, mound of diamonds, you know, mound of savings bonds, anything that you think is valuable, the only thing that was worth the price was his very own blood. Like what is, what is that even saying about us? It tells us that we do not need to be perfect. Our failures and shortcomings are all known by God. 
God knows I'm whack. God knows, you know, I drive angry to work, weaving in out of traffic. God knows, you know, if my boss gets mad at me, I'm going to be like, man, I don't kind of like shrink back a little bit. Not advocating these things, just being honest with who I am. You know, God knows I have an attitude. Um, But he sees all that and he accepts me. We are allowed to make mistakes. God does not hate you. In fact, the cross tells you that he loves you. He could have, like, he, he flooded the world. He destroyed everything. He could easily do it again. But he promised that he wouldn't do it again. He wants to be close to you. Of all the things he could have done, I know for me, if I, if I mess up something, my first thing is to throw it away and just write something new. Like, I'll just write one word on a piece of paper, and I spell it wrong, and I just crumble it, and I throw it away. <laughs> but praise be to God, he's not like that. He's satisfied with what he made at first. And for those of us with deep hurts, who have been wronged, who have been oppressed, abused, who are victims of our culture, the cross shows us that there can be a coronation in the presence of evil. That God stands for justice. And that we don't need to avenge ourselves because God has an assigned time for the injustice of this world to be wiped away. And that along with every transgression and with every tear, you don't need to be anxious. You don't need to be. Because God has victory and he gives this victory to us. Like you don't need to go through life trying to argue with that person who sits right next to you in the cube every day talking about how the world's falling apart and people need to get over themselves and how racism isn't a thing. I don't need to prove my point to him. Sorry, that is me. That's who I sit next to. (laughs) I don't need to prove my point to him. Because the truth is that you are loved immeasurably more than you can ever imagine. And that the God of creation has secured a place for you in his very own house. Like, what? Are you you crazy? Like, you have a room for me in that house of yours? And this is all done through Jesus Christ. So you are justified. You don't need to prove yourself to anyone. You are redeemed. Like, okay, you're wicked, you're wretched, but you're redeemed. Like, is, are you willing to say that your opinion of yourself is more valued than the blood of Christ? Like, what is that? What kind of logic is that? Like, would that hold up in court? Like, no, absolutely not. You are reconciled, and the weight of your failures and shortcomings are covered. And you receive all of this, all of this, through faith in Jesus Christ. And you don't need to understand it all. You really don't. So the, the children of God's family... The identity you gain from belonging to your house frees you from the lies of this world. You are no longer slaves if you're in God's household. Um, Even even New Testament writers wrote about this. And it says, but scripture, this is in Galatians 3. You don't need to flip there, but I do want you to know that this is in the Bible. Um, But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised... Being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Therefore, the coming of this faith, we are held in custody now under the law. Locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law, or the Old Testament and and the Ten Commandments and all that, this is a shorthand, was our guardian until we no longer needed a guardian. So in Jesus Christ, we are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ... Have clothed yourself with Christ, so there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free, nor male or female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and the heirs according to his promise. 
So Jesus offers us sonship. He brings us into God's house, the perfect father. It's a household of love, grace, and devotion. Not expectation, not comparison, not fear, but freedom. And so long as we hear God and accept his testimony and show our faith in deeds, we belong to him. And if you live by Jesus, you won't understand everything at once. You absolutely won't understand everything that Jesus is at once. But your life instead will be the unfolding promises that he has given to you. And how exciting is that? Like, God, I don't understand. Like, you say, do not be anxious and you'll guard my mind, you know, with the peace of Christ. I don't understand that. I'm an extremely anxious person. But I look forward to that truth being unfolded and revealed to me. I get to look forward to that. You know? Um... And it's just, it's just so amazing. And so, like, taking a step back, Jesus is pointing out to the Jews that it's not by blood that you come into my family, but it's by faith. And so, the main question I want to ask before I walk off the stage is, do you feel free? Um, so, thank you for letting me share. Um, and I'm going to close this out in a word of prayer, and the singers will come up. So, uh, Father God, thank you so much for just allowing us to just have this open invitation to your household, Lord. God, there's so many different lies that Satan wants to give us to just really just shackle us to this world, to give us lives of anxiety, to just make our work so toilsome, God, and to destroy us, God, to give us lower images of ourselves and just to live lonely lives, God. But praise be to Jesus, God, that you have just paved a way for us. You have justified us. You have cleaned us of all of our filth and muck, God. And you call us son. You call us daughter, God. And you bring us close, God, because you love us, Lord. So I pray.